0: Welcome to Awaken Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Welcome uh, to the second week of Advent. If you are not aware, this is the season of the church calendar. It's the beginning of the season of, or the, the church calendar, and it's a season of waiting and hoping and anticipating what is to happen or what is about to happen. The story of God written down in Scripture. Is uh, there's there's this very, very much this sense of anticipation of, uh, for those who experienced it first, the words of the long awaited of the the words of the long awaited Messiah sort of echo in time and in the starry night and from the moment that they stopped speaking in the prophets uh, 400 years of silence until the angels burst onto the scene and share that great uh, message with the shepherds that good news and great joy has come for all people so. We're in this series called Hidden and we're asking that question of like, is there anything that's just hidden below the surface of the story that maybe we've heard a hundred, a, a thousand times for some of us who've been around the church a long time? And is there anything that might, uh, we might find that we haven't seen before? You know, like if you've ever found something that's hidden, it's often very unexpected. It's, it's sometimes a surprise, sometimes startling, but uh, often it changes your perspective and it sort of it lights up things that would have been otherwise not lit or that you hadn't seen before. So I guess that's kind of my invitation to you this Advent, is, is it possible that in this story and these stories that we've heard, that there isn't something just below the surface that God might want to say and do and speak to us this year. So that's the invitation. Last week we talked about shepherds, and these shepherds who, uh, at this little place called Migdel-Ader, where the, they, these shepherds watched the temple flocks, these sheep who would have been taken up to the temple for sacrifice, and how this message comes to them, possibly, who would have been all too familiar with swaddling clothes and, uh, and caring for and placing these sheep in a manger. So uh, an interesting look at Luke chapter 2. But this week I want to look at Elizabeth, or not Elizabeth, but rather Zechariah. Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. And I want to offer two observations about this story, two that, for me, were very much hidden, that I sort of uncovered or found this last week, and then I want to close with an obs- or really just something that I find beautiful in this story. So that's where we're headed. Uh, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1, and if you can, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of the scripture, and then we will dive in. Starting in verse 5, Luke, the gospel writer, says this, "...in the time of Herod the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, and both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old." Once Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. So kind. (laughs) The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Skipping down to verse 67, John, the son has been born. Zechariah's silence is over, and he bursts back onto the scene in the story, saying this, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the path of peace. Pray with me. God, this morning as we think about this text and what it means for us, I pray that uh, you would speak, that you would take these words which you spoke once and you would make them come alive to us again. So do it again, I pray. Reveal yourself to us. Uh, offer who you are and um, your love and your care, your, uh, your desire for us to be the kinds of people that you've made us to be. Uh, invite us to that, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and God's people said together, amen. You may be seated. I didn't grow up in a liturgical setting, so sometimes I like to just hear the whole story. You know, that was a long passage, but uh, that's, that's the way people have been doing it for ages, I guess. Just read it. There you go. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, right? A little background before a couple of observations. Uh, Zechariah is a priest in the tribe of Levi. If you don't know much about the story of the scriptures, you have to go back to the book of Leviticus to hear and understand and learn about the, the Levites. Jacob, who we talked a little bit about last week, was the father of 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. One of them is the tribe of Levi, and they are designated by Torah, by Leviticus, by the law, to be the ones who serve in the temple. So the temple is in Jerusalem. At first it's a tent, and then it's a, a sort of movable structure, and then eventually it gets built in Jerusalem. And so all the people of Israel at the highest and holy of days would make their way there. And it's really the pinnacle, it's the epicenter, it's sort of the, the, the it's lit, literally the top of the mountain in, in the surrounding area. It's at the top of a large hill. And the priests would serve in the temple for the worship of God's people. So they would do a number of different things, but it kind of in, in a couple of categories. One would be like the making ready of and the preparing of and the offering of sacrifices. So there were sacrifices daily, uh, at, excuse me, grain offerings and uh, animal sacrifices and. Uh, those would be done every day, so uh, that would have to happen. There was uh, lights in the temple, lamps that had oil filled in them, and so those were in, we had to make sure those kept, were kept burning. There was incense offered at different places in the temple, and so someone had to take care of that. And, and of course, we don't think about this, but this was a bloody mess, right? No pun intended. There was blood and there was gut. There was there was it was a dirty place, and so the priests are the ones who would literally like clean up. And so to the Levites, we're grateful for your service, right? Uh, they had two main jobs one was to sort of keep contact with the divine in this holy place so the location of the temple and this physical geographical place they believed that god's presence and god's spirit was literally in the holy of holies in the shekinah glory of god resided in this place the ark of the covenant if you've seen raiders of the lost ark you know exactly what i'm talking about and so to keep contact with the divine the, the priest did that work um, they also uh, would help the people stay pure or become pure in order to participate in religious worship at the, at the, the temple. So there was a, lots of laws and, and regulations on how you were ceremonial clean and how you prepared yourself to go to temple and all that. And so the priest did all of that work. Uh, Luke lets us know in verse 8 how this would have worked when he tells us that Zechariah's division had been called up so, the way this happened was, back in 1 Chronicles 24, it tells us that the Levites are split up into 24 divisions, and they would go to the temple, uh, like, twice a year, basically, for, uh, Charlie, I feel like I'm really echoey up here, and I, like, I don't know if it's where I'm moving or what, but um, when, when they would, they would be sent up to the temple for, like, two weeks at a time, so they may have lived in another place, and then they would go up and do their service for the temple, and then they would go back to their houses, uh, so Zechariah's division had been called up, and so he was on his way and, and up in the temple. Uh, and this is where he gets this vision. So he's in the, 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 where the incense is being burned, and at the right hand of the incense altar, this angel appears and gives him this message. Okay, so a little bit of background, my two observations. Here we go. The first of which is this. How do I know what I know? Or how do I know that I know? I'll say it that way. Um, for a guy, Zechariah, who spent his whole life around the temple... Uh, He was a part of the religious life of Israel, he was always there, he knew all the stories, he would have been very familiar with Torah, he went to religious school, he knew all the flannel graph people and how they all got put on the board, and he knew of the potential experiences of worshiping the living God in the temple, right, this is the place where it all happens. So the idea of an angel visiting him is not a completely insane idea. Not to mention the fact that this story of a woman or women who were barren, but whom God approached and worked through to sort of bring about God's purposes is not a foreign story in the Israelite, you know, histories. So here you have this priest in the temple and an angel who tells him of this news and his response is a little bizarre, Right, you'd think that the guy who would have spent all his time there and knew all the stories and the possibilities would not have said, um, "How can I be sure of this?" Right? Zachariah's response in the Greek is literally, "How do I know that I know?" It's a question, but more than that, it's not trust. It's not faith. It's not belief straight away. Right? This great thing will happen, and the Lord will do this thing, and his, his purposes will keep going. And He's like, Ah, how do I know that that's true? And then He goes on to tell the angel, like, just to inform you of my situation, right? You do know, like, how old I am, and my wife, well, she's getting on in age. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I don't know, like, I don't know how you guys, angels, but you know, it just doesn't happen very often anymore. And, like, the odds of it happening at that time, like, it's just not good, man. It's just not good. Like, you got to roll the dice on this one. Like, the first response of the person receiving the news of how God will work is not faith and trust. It's not, I'm in. Let's cross the line of faith. Sign me up for VBS. It's, I don't know if I can believe that that's true. And here's a couple of reasons as to why that invitation is a little hard to handle and hard to believe. Doubt, questions, like brutal honesty is his response. And if I'm being totally honest, I've never stopped at this part of the story. I've never stopped here with Zachariah, right? Because Luke 2 comes next and Luke 2's Christmas story and everybody wants to get to Christmas. But just for a moment this morning, because we're not to Christmas, we're in Advent, The people who were walking in great darkness are still in great darkness in the story. So what if we just carved out a little space to let this breathe? Zachariah's first response to God's invitation into the story is questions and brutal honesty about how he sees this not working out. And I guess I would just ask you this morning, like what are your questions? What are the questions that you have in response to the invitation to participate in this great story that God is up to? If we stop for a moment and we were to create space for you to voice your honest questions and for you to point out maybe the legitimate reasons why believing this story is really hard, what would they be? Now, I thought about this moment all week, and I'm like, how will we do this? You know, do we give everybody pieces of paper and have people write down their questions and you know, figure out some way for you to do something with them, which would have been fine. But then I was just like, let's roll the dice, Micah. We'll see how this goes. I have no idea. It could go well. It went okay first hour, so I'm doing it again second hour. But sometimes we do an all-play question where I'll just throw out a question and you all respond to it and it's kind of like popcorn style and people just sound off a few sound bites. And it's it's usually questions that are a little less, uh, well, let's say they're a little more approachable than this one. But if we were to just pause for a moment and say, what are the questions in the room? Like, what are some of the legitimate reasons why full belief and trust in this story is maybe hard for some of us. And since you didn't know this was coming, I'll go first. I have one that I've been wrestling with lately and it has to do with history and it has to do with a lot of the things I'm reading. I'll share a bit more about this in a minute, but I'm finding that like not only was the enslavement of African people in our country's history like a part of it, but it was endorsed by and often like pushed up the hill by Christians. pastors, religious people who represented God. And my question is like God, if that like how how do you stand by and watch that and let that happen in your name? Cuz that really bugs me. I find it very hard to believe that's good news. So what are your questions? Are there one, two, three of you who would be willing to say them out loud, and maybe just raise your hand so I can get a little closer to you and hear you. It um, doesn't have to be a giant story or long thing, but just a statement, a question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, possibility of punishment in this story please. Man, I'm not paying this guy, but that is a great I'm going there. Okay, so hold tight. Yeah. The like the stick the carrot is like, hey, hope and belief in this story, but the the the, the, the stick seems to be this it seems to be like a tit for tat or if this then that. Um, okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who do things in the name of Christ who are not Christ-like, and it's just like, oh, you said the word, yeah. so you give the word. I, I can't. Get yep. So the idea of people who may not profess to follow Jesus, but certainly act a whole lot like Jesus, who would then get deemed, you know, their eternal destination is, is hell, according to some, and others who don't, who do follow Jesus, but do often very hellish things, and somehow like, Yeah, okay, maybe one more, yeah. Yeah, the Bible and its difficulty and some of the things it seems to endorse. Uh, I guess part of my hope in this moment this morning is just to pump the brakes a, a tad before we head to baby Jesus in a manger. And I just find it comforting in some weird way that this guy who's somewhat a part of this story, like his first response is not, yeah, I'm in. But, ah, geez, that's a tough one. I don't know, I don't see how this is going to work. And so for you, whatever questions may be in the room, spoken and unspoken, I want to just say that I think that they're as much a part of the spiritual experience as the affirmations that we affirm or sing about or talk about and the things that we believe are true or can say yes to. And that somehow they belong in the process. Um, Buried in sort of an offline in a story before the story, right? In a secondary character in a story before the story we find a guy whose response isn't, his first response is not faith and belief, but questions and all the reasons why this proposition is difficult for him to jump in with both feet. So I want to just make some space for that this morning. And that, for me, was a, something I had not uncovered before. I had passed over it. Um, before I move to the second observation, you might be sitting here thinking, um, that's nice, but if you keep reading, it, it doesn't appear that his silence is a positive thing. Like, okay, great, but like, that seems like it's punishment for him he doesn't believe, and so then he has to be quiet for 40 weeks, right? Uh, and to which I would say, yeah, that's fair. Totally fair. That's one way to look at the story. But what if there's a lot of ways to look at the story? What if there's 70 ways to look at the story? Like within the tradition that we come from, in the, in the rabbinic tradition, they would say that Torah has 70 faces, and as you turn it each way, you begin to see the light of something you didn't see before. So what if there's other ways to see the story? What if it's possible that 40 weeks is not punishment for his lack of faith or doubt, but rather, could it be that his doubt and his questions and his honesty ushers him into a transformative experience where something is born in him that wasn't present prior to that moment? Is it possible that there's 40 weeks of something dying in Zechariah and something else being born in Zechariah? Maybe silence for a period of time is exactly what his soul needed. So, what might have been born in that season of not being able to speak for Zachariah? I don't know. Don't you wonder what that would have been like? Which leads me to the second observation, and it's an observation about power dynamics. So, just track with me, okay? Zachariah is a man. Everybody clear? He's a religious man. Got it? In a really religious culture. So who has all the power? Zechariah! This is a guy, a man, who's, who represents God to the people. You could... I mean, that is a very powerful position. I have never saw this before until this week when I started studying. And thanks to Jenna and others... What if we looked at this passage in terms of power and who holds it and what happens to it? Have you ever heard that phrase, that you, once you see, you can't unsee? Have you ever heard that? So like, you know, you have this lens through which you see the world, and then once you see it a new way, it's like you can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unlearn what you've learned. Uh, for, for me and our staff at Awaken, I'll just let you in on a little bit of a journey. Last year, ironically enough, in, a, in, a, in an intentional weekend of silence, we all sort of felt the Lord leading us as, a, as individuals, but then us as a leadership community in our church to make a commitment to this value of justice in our church. And so, over here on our your right, my left, is now this board which we just went through over the last six weeks. By the way, if you see Katie in church, thank her for her work. Beautiful, she painted that. Uh, and so there was this commitment to justice, and specifically justice as it relates to race and what it means to be a white Christian. And that has led us to read a number of books together, White Awake, White Fragility. Uh, We're reading a book called The uh, Stamp from the Beginning, A History of Racist Ideas in America. And it's blowing my mind. I, I can't unsee what I've seen. And I'm showing up differently to my work. I'm showing up differently to my bank. I'm showing up differently to watch CNN and to whatever else I watch. I showed up differently to a dance line competition yesterday, friends. Any dance line parents in the room? (laughs) Okie dokie. This is a world like I have never seen in my life. I grew up at a hockey rink, you know? There's just like hundreds and hundreds of girls, teenage girls, and and their parents are worse than, like, it's insanity. There's like so much estrogen I can hardly even handle it. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Uh, Do I, like... I, I don't know how you act in this in this situation, but at, at dance line competitions there's kick and there's jazz two different deals the kick line you know you, like you can imagine they all line up and they kick and it's all supposed to be like one unit like you can't tell one from the other and they do their things and it's actually quite lovely uh it's very very technical and sometimes they will they they their their uniforms uh costumes uh what do you call those costumes their costumes uh they, they they will they will uh, create costumes to, to accentuate like contrast, right? So in this one, one dance line competition, they had like a black legging and then no legging. So like a half of a Leo, I guess. Leotard, for those of you not in the know. <laughs> so like black legging on one and then, you know, so it's, it's a contrast of black and white. Until there's a person of color on the dance team. So th- how does that go? So I'm sitting here and I'm watching this and I'm like, huh. Like, what did that? And there were, there were multiple African American girls on this team, and one of them had uh, skin colored Leo, or like tights. But of course, that was white skin. So she's wearing the, the legging, but then she's also wearing tights. But then there were a couple other girls who didn't. And I was like, I wonder what that was like and did the coaches like talk about that like I can't unsee and so as I read this passage I'm asking all kinds of different questions and one of them is related to power so in the story you have the religious man who's who has all the power And then you have a woman who's barren, but who gets pregnant. So a couple of questions I guess I want to explore. Aside from physical strength, like how do you assert power in our world? Arguably, our voice. The rabbis say that your words create worlds. And we know this, right? Our words have created all kinds of worlds, especially as it relates to gender. Can I get an amen? That the words we speak create realities. And so here you have the person in power whose voice is taken, removed, or put on pause for a season. And what is born and what dies in that season? For Zechariah. Like, what is, what's the invitation for him? What's the invitation for us? So for those of us in the room, for those of you in the room who have experienced positions of power, what would be born in you and what might die in you if for a season that position was taken or you laid it down? where you no longer were assumed to be the most knowledgeable person in the room or the most educated person in the room or the person who has the right to speak or the person who was automatically respected, but rather you had to earn all of those things and no one assumed anything about you except for, like, suspicion. Like, what if if it was totally reversed? What would be born in you, what would die? In that season. Or flip the coin. For the people in the room who have experienced powerlessness, for whatever reason. What would it be like if those who were in positions of power were lowered and those who were always on the underside of positions of power were raised up? Like, what would be born in you and what would die? I just find it fascinating that, like, buried in the Bible, written 2,000 years ago, is a story like this. And again, I want to suggest not that we see Zachariah's inability to speak as punishment, but rather an invitation into a transformative experience. And I wonder, what was born in him in that moment, in those moments? What was born in Elizabeth? As a person who speaks all the time and is a religious man, this one is a sidewinder. And I'm telling you, it's doing all kinds of things in me. Like, what would happen if that position of power and opportunity was gone for me? And I guess I would just invite you to consider that. And, and, and what kind of God do you believe is out there? Is it the kind of God that just continues to, to, to like, allow this to happen? Is this, is this what God is for and about? Or is God about justice, rolling down like a mighty water, and righteousness flowing like a never-ending stream? If I could just find that in the Bible... I think it's Isaiah. So, I I, I don't, sometimes I come and, and try to offer like, you know, some constructive thoughts and today I'm, I, I recognize that I'm sort of just stirring up a bunch of stuff and I'm wondering like what will come out of it and there's a time and a place for that and it's not every Sunday, but today it, it is. Today. So, Is there anything there? Is there any, like, energy around the questions that you might have or about this story and how God seems to be interested in this person who was in a position of power all of a sudden no longer having that? And, oh man, what would have happened in that moment and in those moments? Allow me to end with this the last part that we read in in Luke 1 is Zechariah's song and after being able to speak after he offers doubt and questions and wonderings and then isn't able to speak the first thing he speaks after that when he is able to speak is this song of praise this this like outpouring of He speaks of God in past tense. So he's speaking in past tense about all the things God has already done, right? God has done these things for Israel and God has restored his people and God has brought a horn of salvation and God has uplifted this and this and that and that. But these things haven't actually happened. So he's speaking in the past tense about things that have yet to happen. How does anybody speak in past tense about future events? I would argue you can only do that with faith. That's what he says. And then he just declares something over his son. Like a father, like just a a person, right? A human, you, me. And he says, speaks these words of hope and of encouragement and life over this boy. And you, my son, these things will be true of you. And you will do this, and you will be this kind of person, and it will bring this for these people. And I just wondered, like, you know, I I have had the honor of being a dad to these three girls, and I have prayed prayers like this over their lives. And so hearing this dad pray these things over his son like got in my, my dad heart. And I recognize that many of you have prayed these kinds of prayers over your children. And some of you in this room long to pray these kinds of prayers over your children, or yet to be. And, like, that's all present. I get it. But I wanted to end by saying to you all that for, for better or for worse, for the last nine years, I've been the pastor of this church. And I've journeyed with many of you. And I've walked with through deaths and births and marriages and baptisms and meaningful moments in your life. And I am learning how to be and how to see myself in some ways as a father. Not just to my kids, but to this community. And so with... Zachariah's prayer for his son as an inspiration. I wrote something um, a couple of years ago over this church. And I want to pray it again. I want to read it to you again. So if you heard it once, um, maybe you'll hear it fresh. And maybe if you've never heard it before, you'll hear this as my heart for you. um, My heart for us as a community. So I'm going to invite us to a time of silence. Um, I'll invite Dan and the band to come back up. And then I want to offer this prayer, this blessing, which is both what I believe is true and what I hope it will be true about you and about us as a community. And then I'll invite you to sing this one last song, which is an extension of that. So pray with me if you will. God, as we take a few moments to be silent and quiet in the midst of busy lives and a busy season... It's my hope and prayer that your spirit would lead and guide and direct and offer that which is needed. So speak to us now. So hear this, my prayer, for you. And you, my sons and daughters, will be called an outpost of God's kingdom. By the Spirit living in you, you will prepare the way. You will hold open the doors for the weary and those making their way home so that they will remember from where it is they have come. As sure as the sun rises in the east, their brokenness will be mended and their hearts will be healed and they will be made whole because of the tender mercy and care of our God. To those who have walked in darkness and despair may they find in you a light, a light that drives away fear and guides them home. And may your feet wear the ancient path of peace, hope, love and joy, so that in you anyone watching We'll know that indeed, God has come. Any gathering that we close with that song is always a good one. I think whoever wrote it um, understood something about what it means to be a pastor because that is my hope and my prayer all the time for you. Um, That you would find a light that would guide you home. I believe that light has made itself known in Christ. And I hope that you find it, or that it finds you, or both. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and the church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakened community or on Twitter and community. See you okay. next time.